Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hey everyone, I'm Guile and I tweet at Door Podcast and tonight I'm joined by Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky. I am at the Chickren on Twitter. And Devin. Hey, this is Devin, GD Harpo on Twitter. And tonight we're going to be covering A Feast for Crows, Jamie 3. And I want to give our standard spoiler warnings if you haven't read the books. Um, if you've watched the show, the, basically the entire chapter will be a, will be a spoiler for you. And... Um, <laughs> Our standard trigger warnings for rape and in this particular chapter, like extreme violence and disgustingness. Um, don't really know a better way to put it. Mm. So we open in King's Landing with our favorite twins um, doing their new favorite thing, which is bitching at each other. And Cersei hates Jamie's beard and isn't afraid to point out that he's going gray. And we get this. We start up with like, this really nice quote from her. Um, she said, she tells him, all the color is draining out of you, brother. You've become a ghost of what you were, a pale, crippled thing, and so bloodless, always in white. She flicked the hair away. I prefer you garbed in crimson and gold. And um, you know, Jamie thinks, you know, he prefers Cersei naked and dappled in sunlight. And he thinks about <laughs> how he wants to carry her to bed and basically fuck her anger away. But then he remembers Tyrion's words, which, you know, we, we hear ad nauseum. She's been fucking Lancel and Osmond Kettleblack and Moonboy. Um, we find out Jamie doesn't want to leave King's Landing, but Cersei claims that she needs him at River Run to break the siege there. And one thing that I, I kind of, it was kind of striking for me to realize that he, he tells her about his oath to not raise arms against the Tullys or Starks. And you know, and she does not give a fuck, right? And it's like it sort of surprised me that she, that he confided that in her, and it made me realize that, you know, at some point he must have told her all about the journey from you know his journey from River Run, and you know, you never see her react or even ever thinking about it. You know, like it's just he, Jamie. Yeah, it's he, like Jamie he must, has, have, he must have told her he was drunk in the whole story of of how he got out yeah clearly or she wouldn't know that he was drunk and i mean jamie seems to have in her in her mind it seems as though jamie has like no life outside like he doesn't exist outside of her interactions with him um well yeah duh we know this from doing her chapters she does not she does not consider him to be like a separate entity from her and we find out from jamie that the mountains men hold hair and which, you know, obviously will be on the way to River Run. And, you know, again, I, I found it striking that Cersei, she never for a moment expresses any worry for him or wishes him well. She's just like, yep, take, yep, they're really bad. Take care of them. And, um, well, she halfway hopes, she doesn't, I, it, like, you get the feeling from her chapters, she doesn't even care if he dies trying no. to do this. No, I mean, she. she's getting, yeah, I mean, that's true. This is one of those chapters that it's all, a little bit hard to read in isolation in a way because we know that she just wants to get rid of him because he's, like, 
bitching at her and is a potential check on her power. Well, I mean, bitching at her as in, like, trying to make sure she doesn't, like, run the ship aground is what he's been trying to do. <laughs> right. yeah, but he's been sure somewhat effective. Yeah. Fucking all up. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, he's been somewhat yeah. effective. Oh, know? yeah. Right. And, I mean, she, you know, she knows it. And I think, you know, she pretty much knows that if it, if push came to shove, there's some of, you know, the, this Lannister army that she's also sending away. It's like a thousand men would also, like, probably listen to him before they listen to her. Um, so Cersei tells him that she wants him to appoint Sir Osmond Kettleblack as Lord Commander in his absence. And Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jamie <Jamie's> defies her <laughs> and says he's going to appoint Loras, and it escalates into a fight. And I, I just want to read it because it's literally the last twin interaction in canon as written so far. So I just, you know, I want us all to feel the love tonight for this. So Jamie felt his anger rising. True, Loris does not leer at your teats the way Sir Osmond does, but I hardly think. Think about this. Cersei slapped his face. Jamie made no attempt to block the blow. I see I need a thicker beard to cushion me against my queen's caresses. He wanted to grip her gown off and turn her blows to kisses. He'd done it before, back when he had two good hands. The queen's eyes were green ice. You had best go, sir. Lancel, Osmond Kettleblack, and Moonboy. Are you deaf as well as maimed? You'll find the door behind you, sir. As you command, Jamie turned on his heel and left her. Somewhere the gods were laughing. Cersei had never taken kindly to be embalked. He knew that. Softer words might have swayed her, yet a... Yet of late, the very sight of her made him angry. So uh, that's how the greatest love story ever told um, ends. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you don't count the letter, yes. Right. I mean, it's just we had we you know, we had a piece of mail that I think gets into this a little bit. Um, so it's from um, Sir Bonifer. And, you know. I know there are a lot, they say, I know there are a lot of J.C. shippers out there, and I just have to ask, why? Are they hoping these crazy kids will get back together so they can spend hours trading insults and smacking <laughs> each other around before yeah. having angry, incestuous relations? Oh, Cersei God. spent this book being awful to Jamie, except when she's trying to get something from him. His remark about turning her blows to kisses before implies that Cersei's raging at Jamie is a common event that started long before he lost his hand. Maybe this is all the inevitable result of Tywin Lannister's A-plus parenting, wherein emotional abuse masquerades as a love of family. But I just can't see what's romantic about Jamie and Cersei's relationship. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't understand um, Jamie and Cersei shippers one bit. Like, I can't, I, I can't wrap my mind around it at all. Just, it's incest aside, which sounds terrible. Um, after you read these chapters, how can you even think that there's anything there? Because there's absolutely nothing. Yeah, they don't they don't like each other. You know, I mean, that's not even. It's not even, you know, that she's cheated or, you know, in his eyes, she's cheated or that he's defying her like they genuinely like dislike everything about each other. I mean, there's another point where Jamie, you know, notices that her, you know, she smells like alcohol and, you know, it's just like that. I think we've probably talked about it too, that feeling like, you know, you know, you know, you're in, you know, you're at a bad point in a relationship when, you know, you come home and you see your partner's like car in the driveway or in the garage and you're just like, Oh, 
Christ. Oh, like, God. like that totally irrational, like, <laughs> like resent their action, their like existence, you know? Michael, and why it, are they here? Well, they right. live here, so there's that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, like you have every yeah. right to be here, but it doesn't make me, you know, like you or like you anymore. And I, you know, that's where they are. Like they're, you know. Well, you can tell dumb. where they are by what the what the insults are that they're throwing at each other. They're they're deeply personal insults at this point. I mean, she's going after him for you know calling him a cripple, which is horrific for losing his hand and making fun of him for being old. And she calls him a coward, basically, compares him to Robert. I mean, you know, and then of course he kind of does the same thing, comparing her <laughs> to Robert. And he kind I mean, of, like you know, implies <laughs> she's you know she's a whore or you know like yeah they. Yeah, they're yeah, they're at a very and, deep personal insult place. And when you get, particularly when you get to feast and you get Cersei's chapters, like it becomes clear that, like we, I mean, that Jamie is just an extent to her. Jamie's just an extension of her. Like, like, like we said, not his own person. Like, and so how could you ever think there was even anything real, like coming from particularly Cersei's side of this entire thing? It's just mind-boggling. And I think we've talked before about how, you know, Chicky, you've been in you've been in the fandom for a long time. You know, pre-show there really weren't Jamie Cersei shippers because, you know, again, why why would anyone rationally? Yeah, not in the sense of. It's so funny. Shipping is a much different thing than it was, say, twenty years ago. You know, we didn't worry as much about how how healthy or good chips were. So there were people who wrote fic about it and who were kind of into it when I first dipped my toe into fandom, which is, I guess, pushing for 15 years ago now. Um, but it, it was not the kind of shipping where you're like, oh, this is a great love story that I love. It was the kind of shipping where, oh, this is messed up. I'd love to read a little bit more about this, you know, mm-hmm. um, kind of like a bad soap opera relationship that you kind of can't turn your eyes away from. Not the, not the like, oh, this is the greatest love story ever told. Like you, you kind of see now that's pretty much been yeah. because of the show. I mean, their reactions, their interactions rather on the page. I mean, they're pretty spicy. Like it's fun to read. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I wouldn't mind more Jamie Searcy interactions on the page. I just, you know, can't buy them like liking each other even. Yeah, well, this is with me. I mean, like, I know there are people in Jamie Brienne fandom who don't ever want to hear about or read about Jamie and Cersei, but I'm like, they make the story so juicy and so good because they actually do have a really good chemistry together. Like, you know, it's a bad kind of chemistry, but they argue really cool. I mean, like, <laughs> their arguments are funny and fun to read. And I mean, I mean it's, it's not funny with the abusive stuff, but, you know, I mean, like, it's still it's funny, the things that they say to each other. They're interesting and they're fun. And I, I like that it's part of the story, frankly. Yeah, all those great Lannisters. to read. Yeah. But they don't need to be together. Right. I mean, it's funny how the chemistry, you know, we, we see that really pretty intense chemistry between Cersei and Tyrion, too. Like those, they just mm-hmm. they play off each other. And even I think like. Jamie and Tyrion have two scenes together in, in all of the books. And I mean, they just leap off of the page like, and they're legendary. Yeah. And these characters, you know, this family and these characters, you know, just for how little we get. I mean, frankly, we get like what one scene or two scenes of Jamie and Cersei in a Game of Thrones. And then, you know, a handful in the next in the next book and a half, basically. And. You know, they they also kind of, you know, they leap off the page, all these these damn Lannisters. (laughs) And people think these books are about the Starks and the Targaryens. 
Um, I mean, they are, I guess. I guess. Um, Depends on your point of view. I mean, I just feel like if, you know, having written some things badly, I sort of know you can kind of tell when the author is writing about something that, like, he's super into. And I feel like he's super into these Lannisters' relationships. Um, or, you know, well, he clearly enjoys writing all three of their POVs, yeah. just full stop. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so Jamie gathers his company to leave King's Landing, and we meet some of the cast of characters we're gonna we're gonna have in the rest of the book. So that gets Luke Piper, who you know kind of adorably names Jamie's horses Honor and Glory, um, young Jasmine Peckledon, and Jamie's childhood friend Adam Marbrand, and Ilan Payne as well. And they don't get this; they don't really get a fond farewell in the city. But again, as soon as they're out of King's Landing, we get that kind of like bucolic little interlude where things really, you know, things aren't so bad. And, you know, Jamie is pretty content, you know, he thinks about, you know, the sun's warm on his back and the wind's rifling through his hair like a woman's fingers, which I know, I know the fandom is kind of eagle eyed that when we first get Jamie's POV, he thinks about the wind um, going through his hair like Cersei's fingers. And, and now it's just a, a woman's fingers. <laughs> We really, I mean, to be honest, we probably read a little bit too much into that. I don't think so. I really don't think we do read too much into it, honestly. Um, something that kind of chokes me up a little bit is when we find out, you know, how he, how he found Ilan Payne basically just like living in just absolute filth and, you know, gives him the choice to come with him. And it feels like Jamie's rescuing him in a way and, just his thought that, you know, perhaps there's hope for both of us. Like, I just, <laughs> all of the negative things you read sometimes in fandom about Jamie. And, I mean, obviously, we find he has an ulterior motive for inviting Ilan along. But just, like, who in the who in this story has ever given a shit about Ilan Payne? You know, like, who ever thought about, like, how he's living and, you know, that his life is shit. And maybe, like, he can do something for him, you know? Other than Jamie. This is is what's always fun about George's books is that, you know, he he never drops even tertiary characters like they always will pop back up and you'll learn a little more. Yeah. And just, you know, giving a little bit of kindness to Ellen Payne, who, you know, may or may not deserve it. I mean, I think he does. I think it's like, man, dude, like got his tongue cut out and. Yeah. Well, on the other hand, he was a, a big stooge for Tywin, so I don't know. Yeah. I've never been sure how much absolution uh, uh, Ilan Payne deserves. It's weird because, I mean, that word absolution, though, as as we read these first couple of chapters in Feast, I mean, that is like a, a really big part of them, as we'll, as we'll find out. So the the squad spends their first night at um, the Hayford's castle and, you know, they're all like the big wigs are invited to dinner and Jamie thinks about, you know, he has to wear his golden hand and everyone admires it until he knocks over a glass of wine and he, he basically storms off in embarrassment. And he, you know, he thinks about how, you know, his cousin Tyrek is married to the little lady of the castle and reasons out that, you know, uh, Tyrek, is missing but he maybe he's not dead and, and maybe Varys had something to do with it and it's sort of like just 
jumbled in this chapter a little bit, but I just, you know, my notes are like, stupidest Lannister, my ass. Um, I wanted to give him credit for for kind of coming up with that. that well, thought. considering that he was not there for the everything that happened in King's Landing with the riot, yeah, he, he is pretty smart about putting it together. I don't know. I don't know what happened to Tyrek Lannister, but I definitely think he's going to pop up again. Yeah. Is then, it the theory that Varys has him? Yeah, like Varys has him because he would, um, you know, basically with if you get rid of all of Tywin's kids and Kevin and his kids, um, he's next. He's next. Yeah. 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 I think there's a theory that Littlefinger has him too. I don't, there are several theories about where he is and what he's doing. Um. So later that night, we find out the real reason that Jamie brings uh, asked to bring Sir Ilan with him. And that's because Sir Illyn has become his sparring partner who can tell no tales about um, how bad Jamie is. And, you know, he beats the crap out of Jamie and also, you know, holds his secrets. So he really is like the perfect companion for Jamie. Um, they move on and they, they start to see the signs of war. And Jamie, they take care of some outlaws along the way. And, you know, Jamie thinks he's really savoring out like this opportunity to do justice and, thinks about, you know, keep it up, they'll call you Golden Hand, and, you know, no, not really. And at one point, he wonders if Brienne ever passed this way, and he thinks he thinks about asking if anyone had seen a pretty maid with auburn hair and a big ugly one with a face that would curdle milk. <laughs> Jamie, oh. he's such a dick. <laughs> um, so, they get to Harrenhal, and it's like a it's pretty much a, a living nightmare and it's interesting that it starts out with shipmouth who you know i have our new friend shipmouth um you know he brings a little bit of levity to the situation with his sheer profanity but you know then we find out like what was really going on here and it's just you know we find out the mountain ordered um he basically cut varga Holt to pieces and butchered him and then fed him to the other prisoners as well as to Vargo himself. And it's yeah. just, yeah. It's like, I love you know, how Jamie's like, how Jamie's like, yeah, I don't really want revenge anymore. Like, it's just way yeah. too much. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's sort of like that, that, you know, be careful what you wish for because, like, God, you don't want that. You know, you don't want that. Because well, he gets there hoping that some of the bloody mummers are still there. Like yeah. he would very much like to find like Zalo and stuff. You know, he he would like to get his hands on them um, when he gets there. But then he sees what went on and how bad it was. And he's like, oh, maybe never mind. And it's just like, I mean, we've, you know, we've we spent like quite a bit of time in Clash and a, and a Storm of Swords at Harrenhal. And it's like even worse than we remember, like everything that everything's horrible. And then there's just another layer of horribleness added on to it. Um, yeah, ugh. it's, it's the worst. Um, you know, it is truly, I mean, it feels like it really is cursed to me. So, you know, as you said, Jamie doesn't find, you know, they don't find any of the other bloody mummers there and he's disappointed. And what I found kind of remarkable is that only three of Lady Wentz people are still there. And that includes Pia, who's been, you know, she's had her teeth knocked out, her nose broken, and obviously has been, like, raped numerous times. And, you know, she sees Jamie and, like, basically falls at her feet and clings to him. 
and just just like Sir Willis Manderley does. And I think, you know, there's this temptation to sort of like make fun of him because, you know, he's this fat guy who's like, you know, sniveling and crying at Jamie's feet. And I'm like, you know, when you think about what was going on there, like who's not going to like who's not going to cry and cling to someone who is rescuing you from that situation? I mean, it's oh yeah horrible. Um, oh no! Imagine being Gregor Clegane's prisoner. I mean, yeah. my God. And you know, Jamie has the decency not to reveal that some of them have been, you know, fed goat of the uh, truly disgusting kind. Yeah. So Jamie appoints Sir Bonifer Hasty in charge of Harrenhal, and you know, Sir Bonifer, he's like a, he's an interesting character in that. You know, he's kind of a dick, and he kicks Pia out of the place, you know, because so she won't, you know, quote, tempt the the men. And, you know, Jamie points out that, you know, it's the only place that, you know, it's the only home she's ever had. And, you know, Sir Bonifer well, Jamie's like, she was literally born here, you jerk. He's, what was that? She was literally born right. in Harrenhal, and this right. guy, like, kicks her out. I mean, like, Jamie clearly doesn't like it, but it's like he... He doesn't seem to feel like he can say much. I I don't think he appoints Bonifer Hasty, isn't it? Cersei or her Was counsel? It Cersei, I, okay. Yeah, I think it's Harris Swift or somebody who comes up with okay. this idea. And you know, but on the other hand, like when you read about how awful Harrenhal is, maybe someone, you know, maybe this like kind of pious guy is is what they do need. You know, if someone can cleanse, you know if someone can cleanse the place, like it just feels. Oh yeah. Nothing, nothing bad ever happens around religious zealots at all. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, they have this interesting conversation where Jamie tells Sir Bonifer to, you know, basically be on the lookout for the mummers. And if he, you know, send word, if they capture them and Sir Bonifer, you know, basically kind of is like, what? So you can torture and kill them. And, you know, Jamie's kind of like, uh, yeah, (laughs) maybe minus the torture part. And, you know, Bonifer is like, well, you know, if they made a sincere repentance, sins can be forgiven. Um, you know, crimes require punishment, but sin, but sins may be forgiven. Um, which kind of gets to the, you know, kind of a, one of the themes of, of some of these early Jamie chapters is that, you know, sins and repentance and, and you know, what does that, what does that mean? Um also, it's like, is the Stannis Jr., essentially? Um. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's all of these chapters as Jamie gets out into the Riverlands and he's seeing all of the, you know, kind of different religious um, uprising that's clearly in the yeah. works everywhere that he goes. Um, you know, this is clearly not <laughs> Jamie's jam. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, he's definitely not, you know, he's not a zealot, but, you know, part of, you know, <laughs> Again, like, I can't, like, completely hate Sir Bonifer here because, I mean, yeah, you know, I believe in, you know, obviously I I believe in redemption. I believe in repentance. I, you know, believe in those things. And, you know, Sir Bonifer is is a dick and he's, you know, maybe a hypocrite about some things most likely. I just assume that they're all hypocrites. But, you know, he's not completely wrong. You know, there is – there's a I don't place, know. There's a place for repentance. There's, you know, there is a place for that. 
Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, he's he's still very much a quote unquote law and order guy, and like yeah. just the fact that he's like a fan of like Randall Tarley and stuff. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, he's totally like he literally probably is like a fan. Like he's got like a little t shirt on. He's like, oh yeah, Randall Tarley and I will clean this place up. You know, like come on. Um, yeah, I don't. So you know this guy his his history, right? Why he's so. Well, Whatever. he now he's the one that he was in love with Rael Targaryen. Yes. Yeah, and she was supposedly in love with him too. Yeah. And then um, but they weren't uh, allowed know, to marry. Yeah, obviously they weren't allowed to marry. Which it's funny because wouldn't it have been? Would it have been Egg that kind of prevented that? No, no. The, it was it was Eris and. Um, and uh, Rayla's dad that made them get married Jaharis against, did? I think, Egg's wish- wishes, well, I believe. I thought believe. that they heard the prophecy that it was going to come from the line, and so they wanted, like, to keep it in the family. And I just don't know if that was Jaharis or, I mean, Egg would have been king at the time since he was. You know, yeah, Rhaegar no, Egg was, was yeah. still alive when Rhaegar was born. Yeah, right. so no, I, yeah, I, I, I think it was their dad. Okay. It was their dad who came up with it. I think Aegon was against it. Okay. I'm just going to assume, you know, because Egg. But I don't want to think anything bad of my of my darling. Uh, I mean, egg. I don't. I you know, I I don't I don't walk the line of egg in his adulthood was quite as good as we'd like to think he would turn out. But yeah, he was definitely against that. Um, and was he? Am I mistaken, or was he part of the siege at Duskendale? Did he have a part of that, or am I am I totally making that up? I might be making that up. Bonifer Hasty. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I guess he was probably around, but not enough. He was around, yeah. Yeah, he would. He could have been around. Yeah, he might have been part of it. I don't remember. So All you just, ever really hear about is Barristan, so. I mean, it's sort of funny if you think, you know, if it is like, oh, you know, he couldn't have the woman he loved, so he, you know, sought this life, you know, this kind of bloodless, again, you know, to, to use Cersei's words, this kind of bloodless life, but, um, you know. George, you know, it's funny, George is a man on, like, his second marriage is definitely like, yeah, there's not, like, you know, you know, it's not like you have your one, like, you can, you can fall in love more than once, literally every single character in, in my books, like, he doesn't really buy into that, uh, you know, there's, there's only one soulmate, like, nope, nope, everyone gets, like, a few, um, so, so anyway, um, Jamie leaves Sir Bonifer, and, uh, First, he warns uh, Sir Bonifer that if they find Sander Clegane, they should pray hard and run. <laughs> Which, <laughs> there's a lot of like witty Jamie comments throughout the chapter, but um, you know when he he leaves Sir Bonifer to find Sir Illyn for another of their fights, but instead he finds himself in the bear pit, and you know we get that great little moment where he actually feels sorry for the bear, and he happens upon Red Ron at Connington and. Red Ronnet wonders, you know, if Brienne was naked when they fought the bear. And Connington laughs that the sight of Brienne naked might have made the bear flee and tear. And Jamie, Jamie doesn't laugh. And Red Ronnet doesn't notice and reveals to Jamie that he was once betrothed to Brienne. But when he met her and saw how ugly she was, he gave her a rose and told her that's all she'd ever have of him. And, you know, and now now we have our we have our moment, Jamie and Brienne fans. The bear was less hairy than that freak. Oh, Jamie's golden hand cracked him across the mouth so hard the other night went stumbling down the steps. 
His lantern fell and smashed, and the oil spread out, burning. You're speaking of a high-born lady, sir. Call her by her name. Call her Brienne. Connington edged away from the spreading flames on his hands and knees. Brienne, if it please, my lord. He spat a glob of blood at Jamie's foot. Brienne the beauty. Uh, I mean, yeah. the, the way that this whole passage is written is just George at his finest and Jamie at his most um, not having any internal thoughts whatsoever about Brienne. Basically, like he, he can't think about what he's thinking or feeling right now where it would be spoilers, obviously, but yeah. it, to, just the way that George writes it, where you can just see Jamie's just slowly getting more and more enraged, but he wants to know what the story is with. And that, you know, with, he <laughs> is surprised that he didn't know, you know, and he didn't know yeah. this piece of Brienne's history. And yeah, like, and you can just, you know, the thing it's, you can see it in Connington where he just assumes you know, it's so weird when you actually think about it. Like, he assumes that Jamie's in on some joke with him. You know, like, he was sitting there making fun of Brienne to Jamie, the man who jumped into a bear, a bear pit one-handed to save her. Like, why would he think that's okay to make fun of this person? Locker room talk. Right, it's totally, it is 100% yeah, locker definitely room what it talk. Is. And... It's just, it's kind of breathtaking how much he just assumes that everyone, you know, he assumes everyone would see Brienne that way. Like, you know, he never saw any value in, in her. So why would, you know, why would Jamie, even though, you know, Jamie by every like deed is essentially absolutely seen value in her. Well, Jamie's actually sitting here thinking about how Red Ronnet should have seen value in her because of right. the fact that he you know, basically is pretty poor. She would have been a really good match for him. I mean, like Tarth's a way bigger deal than, than what he's left with. You know, they basically just have a castle. They don't right. even have all the Connington lands anymore. And I mean, he could have, you know, uh, like he thinks how, you know, so, oh, she would have been like a pretty plum to land in his lap. And, you know, he totally, like, yeah, Connington just, you know, he's a moron. I mean, the thing but, is, yeah. Jamie's clearly pissed from the beginning of the conversation about the way that Red Ronnet is talking about Brienne, but he, he carefully draws out all the information that he can from Red Ronnet. He's like, what? There was a betrothal? He has no idea Brienne was ever betrothed. So he waits to hear everything that he can about that by kind of like questioning him. Okay, like, who are you? What's your family? What's the deal again? But the minute that Red Ronnet says how he humiliated Brienne, and like, it's very clear that he's proud of having yeah. like utterly humiliated her. Like, Jamie is just done. Like, there's no thought. There's nothing. Just the smack. I mean, you can forget for a second that this this chapter is even written from Jamie's perspective because there's just no internal anything. It's just 100% action, which mm -hmm. is pretty much what you get, like, with the bear pit, all the major moments with Brienne. Yeah. This is how it is. The only, you know, the only hint we get is, you know, Jamie didn't laugh. Like, that's literally the only the only hint we get of of how he's feeling about what about what he's saying which is funny because i mean like jamie's chapters are like 90 percent how he's feeling about what people are saying or what he's saying you know like it's always his it's always like his internal dialogue with himself that we get so like yeah it is kind of striking that we get you know like nothing here we just get like this explosion 
It's it's I, I mean, for me personally, like I admire the craft of it so much. And if you've never read the books or if you read them maybe once really quickly, this is such a great passage to just kind of see how powerful action can be, um, how much more powerful it makes it than if Jamie had even had the thoughts about how irritated he was. You know, I mean, like the 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 pure just action does such an amazing job of conveying to you just how outraged Jamie is and you don't maybe realize it your first read through but George is actually building that you you as a reader having been in Jamie's head so much at this point of this book you know something is wrong something's off in the way that Jamie isn't reacting and, and just, it, oh it's yeah really him done. hang himself basically yeah yeah um so that you know that's the great end of the chapter we do have a bit of mail that I'm gonna um we have another we have a bit more message a bit more of a message from Sir Bonifer from our Gmail and they say it's my namesake's chapter so please let me take a moment to stand for Bonifer the good the venality and hypocrisy of the ruling class is, as is a running theme in a song of ice and fire lords sacrifice their small folk in pointless wars the knights meant to protect the innocent instead rape and pillage and abuse their power Sir Bonifer is one of the rare characters who is actually trying to do the right thing solely because it's the right thing to do. Jamie describes him as sober, just, and dutiful. His holy hundred have a reputation for discipline, avoiding the ravaging of fields and maidens that otherwise characterize war and Westeros. The same respect for the lives and property of the small folk we're going to praise Jamie for during his Riverlands campaign. Bonifer is committed to genuinely restoring peace to the Riverlands so the small folk can resume their lives. He worries that Jamie will torture any members of the brave companions he captures rather than giving them clean executions. This is as good as justice in Westeros gets. Sure, Bonifer is a little misogynist, but that's true of every male character in A Song of Ice and Fire. And he can't tell me Sir Bonifer's courtly devotion to Rhaella Targaryen isn't romantic as fuck. Hashtag pining. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's a much more eloquent way of putting it than I, than I was struggling with. I mean, I like that. Like, he's trying to do it he's trying to do something because he thinks it's the right thing to do which you know i mean well that describes a lot of characters who are doing some really horrible things though well but i don't think he's doing horrible things necessarily i mean he's doing i mean come on look what he just fucking did to pia yeah i mean he does hurtful he does something you know hurtful and let me just say we haven't we haven't seen much of this guy and this is one of our main things i mean like you know jamie who's supposed to be the villain is sitting here going Wait, but Pia was born here, like, yeah. and like, just quickly realizes, oh, I just need to save her from this. I, I, can't, I shouldn't even try to pressure this guy to keep her here because it's not going to go well for her. And Jamie's like, got to get her out of here. I mean, like, you know, no, sorry, I, uh, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a Bonifer Hasty fan. He's a dick. I'm neutral. Devin, any opinion on Sir Bonifer? Mm, I don't care for him. Okay. <laughs> sorry. It's mainly sorry, his Sir name. Bonifer, the emailer. <laughs> we, um. We get some. We have Buckle Hair on the subreddit who says, um, "Shirley Ann and Brendan Blackfish have argued pretty convincingly that these chapters are where we start to get Jamie the commander. He gets his choice of commanders, getting the ever reliable Adam Marbrand, starts scouting right out of the city and starts commanding, but also acting as the diplomatic agent of the Lannister regime. But is, but he is torn between honor and glory. Which is he heading towards? I mean." I mean, I don't think there's any glory. glory in store for Jamie. Yeah. Um, 
I wouldn't say he's torn between the two. I think that, you know, this, that is, that is true though. I mean, you, you are seeing Jamie. Yes. More masterfully commanding, um, mostly because he's kind of forcing himself to think in a way he hasn't before. I mean, he clearly learned a lot from what happened, like with the whispering wood and not just that he's been paying attention to how other people have fucked up, you know, with, um, and you know, during the war in the Riverlands and I, he's learned a lot. Um, yeah. Also, though, I mean, as much as he he is learning to to play smarter, you can just see how much he relaxes the minute he gets out of King's Landing in this in this chapter. You know, he just is not made for the political game. And yes, there's some politics happening, you know, during his campaign in the Riverlands, but he's just so much happier doing this whole soldier thing. Like, it's clearly just more his jam. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, just honestly getting away from Cersei is, you know, it doesn't hurt at this point. Yeah, getting you know, getting to breathe out of that relationship, I think, is pretty, a pretty big deal for him. Um, we have a comment from the hounds. The hound abides on the subreddit, and they say, "I don't really have anything relevant to say, but as, but as much as we all love the golden bitch slap, I also really love that he that Jamie calls Bonifer Hasty Baylor butthole. <laughs> for all of his personal <laughs> growth, he's still emotionally twelve. Uh, thanks for all of your hard work. The podcast has helped me cope with the dumpster fire of a season that will not be named. Oh, uh, we have an email from Lauren who says, hello, ladies and occasional gents. Every time you, you all start talking about that rep scallion Heil hunt, which autocorrects to hype hint, by the way, I remember how chicky gave him one of my favorite lines in fic ever. She's his right hand and he's her reason for living sigh. And then I remember put it in. It is. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for oh, doing Jesus. what you do. Oh, I love that you're on here so I can embarrass you with that. <laughs> Thanks for that. That's from um, In This Light by Sigil Broken, right? Jesus Christ. I, yes. You know I would remember. I don't actually expect you to. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, we have a, we have a little uh, – we have a um, – Another bit of a message from Sir Bonifer, who's, who started out, um, Dear ladies and occasional gents, thanks again for this wonderful podcast. Thanks to you, I spend every Tuesday evening obsessively refreshing the Apple Podcast app. I'm not sure what I'm going to do when Aww. you run out of feast chapters, but it's probably going to involve a lot of talking to myself. and Maybe cardboard effigies of Chicky and Guile. <laughs> That's like the most complimentary <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Please. Burn me. Yeah. Like, if, like if, I mean... It would be the saddest thing in the world if you had an effigy and someone didn't burn it, though. I'm like, come on. <laughs> burn me. Um, speaking, though, of what we're going to do when we run out of feast chapters, um, we do have some podcast news that we should share. And we've actually decided that we are going to be doing um, a full reread. And... At some point, we sincerely of, of the books. I suppose I should clarify. Could be of anything. <laughs> and um, we sincerely hope that at some point we have to interrupt them to podcast about the winds of winter. But we are actually going to start um, back from the start with a Game of Thrones, and we are going to have a bit of a format switch where um, we're going to be recording up to four episodes at once. So. Um, just to forewarn people that, you know, as you as you write, as you comment, you might hit a cycle where we don't get your where you won't hear your letter for several weeks. And not because we're ignoring you, obviously, 
but just because our cycle of recording will be a little bit different. We'll still be releasing to our Patreons on Monday night and um, everyone else on Tuesday evening. So as far as you're concerned, it probably won't change. But, yeah, the commenting, um, we might not get back to your comments um, on the podcast itself as quickly as we typically do. No. And, and we should probably should. say, too, we have done a decent chunk of the chapters of all of these books. Um, so we're probably just going to republish those chapters that we've done as we go through. Like, so it'll especially be, with the Game of Thrones, yeah. Tyrion and Catelyn, I think, are the main ones, yep. right? And it'll be fun, I think, for people to hear um, some some old friends in some of those episodes, too, um, on the podcast. So, And new new ones for those of you who are who are new to us or newer to us too. So we'll, you know, probably be going several, several years back. God knows what we talked about on the, what we referenced to the show. And some of those would be, how many years ago was it when we did Catlin? Are we talking like three years ago? Probably. Yeah. God. I, w- I was on and I've been on for three years. So I think it has been like two and a half, three years. Okay. Since uh-huh. Catlin. I was on some and of those. Was Cersei uh-huh. before? No, Cersei was after Cat or was she before? Well, Cersei we won't get into it for Cersei a while. Was Cersei, yeah, Cersei was before Cat. Yeah, Cersei was before that because I wasn't on at yeah. that time. Cersei was before Cat, yeah. Dear God, if we make it to Feast before he gets wins out, I... Oh God. <laughs> Guys, until just like 30 seconds ago, I forgot Feast was a thing that was ever supposed to happen. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is if we did ever get to Feast, it would literally be like we've are. I mean, we've podcasted like... Probably eighty percent of the feast chapters at this point. Yeah, I mean, most of it. Jamie, Cersei, Brienne, and Asha, and Sansa. Yeah. Like we've we've pretty much yeah done it. What's all. What's left? Like all the one-offs. Like damn hair. Whatever his goddamn name. Damn fair. Damn however you fucking say it. Yeah, that guy. It should be damn fair. I always thought it was damn fair when I, I you know was when I first hair, read yeah. it. Apparently, it's damp hair. Yeah, and, well, uh, honestly, I thought damp hair because I was like water, but I was like, but that sounds dumb. But I was does. like, but I do think it is damp hair. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, always think of it I always said damp hair in my head. I think of it as dumb fear, like somehow I've made him French. <laughs> I don't know. I like yours better. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so that'll be happening start, starting. It looks like probably the second week of December would be when we would be on the, um, when we'd be releasing the game of Thrones prologue. So, um, so exciting news. We're, we're not quitting. They, they're bringing us, they keep bringing us back in. Um, and then we have a final one from Colby Josh, Colby Josh. I don't know on the subreddit who says, I must confess, I only started watching Game of Thrones last year and quickly fell in love with Jamie and Brienne. I found this wonderful podcast right before season terrible. Since the aforementioned season, I have been inspired by you wonderful ladies and occasional gents to read the books. I'm not very far, so I don't have any intelligent questions at this time, but I love listening to you amazing people. Keep up the good work and please keep going. I need the thrill of getting a notification that another episode is up. So, yes, we will We will be bringing the thrill for... Um, for the foreseeable future, basically. Um, well, which one is season terrible? Eight. I mean, <laughs> okay. that's what they're saying is eight, any, but I mean, any four. Possible. <laughs> Three. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify which one we were talking about. Five. Like, all, like five. Seven. Oh, my God. I almost, Not one? I mean, one, I you know, I don't have a ton of complaints about season one. My biggest complaint about season one is that they're too faithful to the goddamn book. 
Well, are you the one that hates the Taiwan Jamie scene when he's oh, getting the deer? Jesus Christ! Yes, I, I hate it. I can't stand that scene. God, it's changed the way everyone views the Taiwan Jamie relationship, and it can't seem to be undone. And I hate it. I'm like, yeah. this, that's not what this is. <laughs> really, not what it is. Taiwan loves Jamie. Like Taiwan adores Jamie in the books. Tywin, like, thinks Jamie can do no wrong until literally they have their first fight in a storm of swords. So that is, that's it for the, for this episode. Um, if you want to contact us, you can send us, um, email at close the door end at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at door podcast. Um, you can, Participate on the Jamie Brienne subreddit. That's r slash Jamie Brienne. And you can find a, you can become a Patreon and support the podcast with, and you'll receive special benefits like episodes a day early, etc. Otherwise, find us on everywhere you, everywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. So iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, etc. Um, clearly you can tell by my polished ending to this that I'm really good at this part. So I forget something. I don't think you forgot anything and fuck it. Anyway, with that, I am closing the door. Get out.